Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! It's the call-up, and we have another team top 10 this time around. It's the Chicago Cubs. We might as well just call it Chicago Cubs week here at the call-up. A couple good interviews coming up this week as well. Jack, I know you're a White Sox guy through and through, but you got some Chicago blood in you, and I know you take some pride in the Cubs system, so this should be pretty fun. I do take some pride in the Cubs system, uh, much like a billion people. So my working theory is uh, Long Island, New York, has the population of about 2 billion. If there are 8 billion people in the world, Long Island is 2 billion. Um, If I were to look at the number of fans that the Chicago Cubs farm system has, it's about Uh, the population of Long Island. So I think 2 billion. Number one. I've seen that now since just covering the prospect world. And you see kind of each... Each fan, or I would just say like fan base, but each prospect fan base that you kind of tap into as you put out these top tens, as you you know just start to do this longer and interact with more of the people that cover prospects across the game. And I don't know if there's anything quite like the Chicago Cubs uh, on the media side and on the fan side uh, with the way that they are really educated on, on their prospects. And all of the guys, you got so many different writers that do a phenomenal job. Uh, covering the Cubs and their prospects. And uh, it makes it fun for me because it's a challenge. They, they elevate, they elevate my game a little bit when you know that there's people covering the Cubs prospects through and through as thoroughly as it gets. It made me put a little bit of extra time into this one. I'll be honest. It, it does feel like you run a monopoly on some organizations, right? Like there, there's no coverage for some of these, but you know, being in, um, being in Fort Wayne, like seeing what Mad Friars does, um, like it, they provide great Padres coverage. There's a whole lot of that in Cub circles. And I know your guy, Greg Huss, um, does an exceptional job. And there are a ton of other writers that I've seen. Uh, I think Tommy Birch is his name in Des Moines. He does a kick-ass job when guys reach the AAA level. But I mean, there are so, so many, like even Bleacher Nation does good stuff. Yeah. Bleacher Nation, um, I would say Ivy Futures, that's another Greg, does an unbelievable job as well. So, you know, if you want more in-depth Cubs content beyond, you know, what we're going to talk about here, uh, those guys got you covered all the way to the Dominican Summer League guy that threw three innings the other day. But we, we feel like we're pretty thorough with this one. Um, I'm really excited to hear what Cubs fans think and fans, uh, you know, just across baseball because this is a vastly improved system. Um, they've improved it via trade, via draft, via development, and – it's a little bit of everything. So we're going to kind of hit on those guys. Some of them in the, that kind of bounced outside of the top 10 were players that struggled or just because of the influx of talent, you know, were pushed out of the top 10, which we'll talk about. So I think I'll just fly through these honorable mention names, uh, other names to watch. I did it a little bit different this time, as you'll see with the names outside of the top 10, I did the next five, which kind of makes it clear cut and dry that these guys were, you know, the next five that just missed the top 10. So they're, top 15 prospects and then the other names to watch so that you could separate those guys that are a little bit between the rest of the other names to watch and not just quite top 10 prospects for those on YouTube with us on our new YouTube. Yes, this is part of the just baseball network, but we are on the call up YouTube, which is all going to be prospect content on this YouTube. So be sure to subscribe to get the player interviews and everything on the prospect side of things on this channel. So Without further delay, let's get into the other names to watch very quickly. 
Um, I'll fly through them. If you have anything to add, Jack, you, of course, chime in and add them. We'll start with Jackson Ferris. Not too much on him because he was just a second-round pick out of the most recent draft, 47th overall. But Ferris, one of the most polished left-handers in the class. He got twice the slot value. Cade Horton was an underslot who we'll get to, top 10 prospect. Underslot pick so that they could allocate a lot of those resources to go get Jackson Ferris, one of the best high school pitchers in his class, $3 million signing bonus, literally twice almost the slot value. He is a very, very exciting pitching prospect, but not in the top 15 just because it's a good system and he's a little far off. Miguel Amaya, a name that I know you have probably heard for a while, Jack, a catching prospect who just can't stay healthy. I, I, I think, I think really in terms of his talent, he could be a top 100 prospect if he was on the field. He is still just 23 years old. He has the potential to be an above-average offensive catcher with you know, a really solid glove if he can stay on the field. Only played 28 games last year, and I think all of those were at the DH because he wasn't healthy enough to catch. Uh, if he's on the field, though, he still could be an everyday catcher at the big league level. Luis Devers, right-handed pitching prospect who was their minor league pitcher of the year last year. Uh, Devers doesn't crack the top 15 because really all he has is a changeup. It's a very good one. And it was able to earn him minor league pitcher of the year for the Cubs, but his fastball sits 88 to 91 Velo kind of dipped as the year went on, not the best pitcher's body in the world and doesn't really have another out pitch. So it's really change up. And that's it with a lack of a quality fastball. You got DJ hers left-handed pitching prospect, who you know was right on that top 10 range going into the year, had a great start to the season in high A, and then just lost it and doubled. He walked 33 batters in 31 and two-thirds innings. He's a funky lefty, cross-body delivery, plus changeup, maybe even plus-plus, but really just struggles to throw strikes. And, and the fastball is more low 90s, doesn't really have that third pitch. The curveball is just not that great. Um, his outlook is is a little bit more bleak, but he's still just 21 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, no reason to give up on him, but it was definitely a concerning blow up. And then one last guy real quick that I feel like doesn't get enough love. Darius Hill, outfield prospect with in triple a last year climbed several levels between double a and triple a he was phenomenal slash 314 359 453 played all three outfield spots elite field to hit he's not going to hit for much power but he's gap to gap struck out 13 percent of the time i think he profiles as a really nice fourth outfielder i've talked to some guys in the organization who say darius hill deserves way more love it looks frantic when he hits but you can't deny just the consistency with the bat and his teammates all can attest that the guy can really swing it. I think Hill deserves a little bit more recognition as a, a potential big leaguer. If you're good, you're good. You know, you see it with a lot of deliveries. Like you see it pitching mechanics wise. I mean, Kenley Jansen does not have mechanics that you teach to anybody, right? No. Uh, Alex Wood does not have mechanics that you teach to anybody, but if you get outs, you get outs. Kevin Euclid does not have a setup that makes any sense, but the dude got on base all the time and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Yuke was an all-star at a certain yeah. point in his career. So I'm not saying that Darius Hill is going to be an all-star, but if you hit, you hit. And at yeah. a certain point in double and triple A, uh, if you're hitting 314, then you're hitting 314. I do think his ceiling is fourth outfielder. I think his yeah. floor is fourth outfielder. Yeah, his, so, fourth, his floor is like fifth outfielder, right? Like it's a, yes. it, it's, it's literally right there. But this is a big leaguer potentially, and, and that's a guy that should be a top 30 prospect. Yes. Um, two guys that I want to hit on here, actually three real quick. Ferris, I don't, I don't have much information on him just because he's so new uh, to the system. He hasn't even gotten off the complex. Amaya, real quick, TJ guy. I'm very curious to see what he's like defensively behind the plate next year, because that'll tell you everything you got to know about Miguel Amaya. But I mean, he came back from like a, a year without baseball. And I think he had an 850 OPS yeah, in, in know, his small sample. It was 40 games. So the guy can hit. The question is, how much power is he going to have? And is he going to be a good defensive catcher? Um, Devers, it's a changeup, but you can be a lights-out reliever with a changeup. Like, if, if that changeup continues to be that good, I think this guy can legitimately be 90 to 92 with the fastball and live off the changeup and be a one-inning setup guy. And I think that's a top, you know, 15, 20 prospect, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why we we gave him the the recognition, but he's a very divisive prospect. I think there's some people that legitimately won't even pay attention to him, and then there's others 
you know, in the Cubs circles that I think are very excited about him. I, I'm somewhere in between. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't pay any attention to him. You know <laughs> I what agree. I, mean? I agree. Anyone that has one pitch like that, and especially when it's a changeup, which you can manipulate. Uh, we look at Devin Williams. Of course, Devin has the, the mid-90s fastball to go with it, but that's also one of the best relievers in the game. Um, right. If you can manipulate that changeup, he locates it well. I agree. You you can dominate with that pitch 70% of the time. It's it's unorthodox, but it can be done. And real quick, DJ Hers is a very poor man's DL Hall at this very moment. Is he not? <laughs> yeah, which is crazy, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, DL has you know another plus pitch as well, and the fastball is ridiculous. But in terms of getting whiffs and not commanding it, yeah, there's some similarity there. But yeah, very poor man's. Yeah, so I if hers continues to develop to the point of DL Hall where he can be a disgusting reliever and you see what he's got in in a starting role, I'm all about giving him a shot. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll get to the the next five prospects. So these are the the guys that just missed the top ten but are better than the honorable mention. So basically, I just didn't want to order ten through fifteen. It was too hard for me. Um, so this is what I'm going to do from now on as a cop out the next five, uh, because it's just for me when I'm getting to like 12 versus 13, I don't want to waste time doing that when I can spend more time just writing these guys up properly and, and giving you an idea of where they sit tier wise. So the names in this next five before we get into the top 10, Alexander Canario, who probably very easily would have been the number 11 prospect in the system, just misses the top 10. Canario is one of the toughest reads, man. I mean, I, there's been times where I've seen Canario and he looks absolutely lost. And then there's times where he looks like he cannot miss anything like fastball, breaking ball, whatever. He's going to crush it. Um, he had a great year. <laughs> there's no way around that. 22 years old, mashed 37 homers between high A, double A and triple A. That's that's really, really, really tough to beat. And the strikeout rate dipped as the year went on and the walk rate increased as the year went on. So you cannot discount what Canario did. You can also acknowledge that there are a lot of red flags. He whiffs a lot, probably not going to play all three outfield spots, probably more lifted to, limited to a corner. He's an aggressive hitter, uh, but again, showed improvements in that regard. So I, I do like Canario. I think he could be a really good platoon bat, could hit his way into being a regular. Unfortunately, Canario had a pretty ugly injury in the Dominican Winter League, dislocated his ankle, fractured, uh, had to get surgery, no timetable on his return yet. Daniel Palencia, right-handed pitching prospect. This guy has one of the best fastballs you will see, period. Um, I don't know if you saw Palencia at all. I know you saw some video. You sent me some. We'll talk about him when I get through all these guys and run out of breath. But Palencia is disgusting. Um, I, I, they, they used him as a starter last year. I think he's going to be fast-tracked as a reliever with the influx of of arms in this system. I think when the year started, they're like, man, we need to find some starters here. They found him on the outside. I think Palencia gets fast-tracked as, as a reliever. Fastball touched 103. He threw more than 80 fastballs over triple digits, average 98.3 on the heater. It's probably close to an 80 grade. Slider is gross in the low 90s. And, I mean, I think this guy could go straight to a bullpen. Porter Hodge, a name that I wasn't as familiar with until I did this dive. Porter Hodge, right-handed pitching prospect, Pretty intriguing. 13th rounder in 2019. Broke out last season, a 2.63 ERA and 109 innings between low A and high A. Struck out more than 30% of the batters he faced. Still just 21 years old. I, I think he's got a pretty good arsenal and a chance to be a pretty good pitcher with, with a big body. James Triantos. Popular name. A little bit more divisive, I think, in, in some ways with uh, some being very high on him. And, and when I did the when we did this top 10 going into the year, I was explaining why the limited power output really caps his ceiling for me. He's still a top 15 prospect with the bat to ball skills. He had 91% zone contact from a 19 year old in low A is spectacular. Uh, he was a little bit more athletic than I think people thought he was going to be, but well below average exit velos that just aren't going to get you there. And, and also, you know, I, I just don't know if he profiles as a third baseman, if he moves to second base could be in pretty good shape uh, as, as the safer profile, but right now just not enough power at third um, a lot of pressure on the hit tool there. Last guy is Johendrik Pinyango, who was a big popular breakout candidate this year, outfield prospect, who was 19 at the season start in high A. I still like him. 297 on base percentage doesn't help, but this guy has juice. Several batted balls over 110 miles per hour, um, big-time power potential, still just 20, limited defensively to mediocre outfield or maybe DH, which hurts, but – um, I think this guy has better bats of ball skills than you'd expect and really just needs to work on the approach. 
All right, dude, your turn. I'm exhausted. <laughs> All right, so you work forward, I'll work backwards, right? So, so you give me a scroll up when I'm done with each of these guys, and I promise I'm going to be a little bit shorter than Aram. Uh, Pinyango, his swing is whippy and fun. Like, I, I think that he will get out of his body very quickly with that swing, but. Uh, when he makes contact, it's like Baez esque, right? Where Baez obviously he's got zone no eighty-four percent zone contact too, which is good. Which is good, and you wouldn't expect it with that type of swing. Um, yeah. It's gonna be pitch selection, but you know, Baez. We were just talking about it yesterday, actually, when we were at lunch. I was in the city. Um, Quinn Ewers, like insane arm talent, awful footwork. Uh, Baez, insane swing talent, awful footwork. Pinyango, that's kind of like what he has going for him right now. And there are a lot of prospects like that. So the question is, will he be disciplined? Will he keep that bat to ball? And will he tap into the power that we know is there? I'm not sure. He slugged like 390 this year. Triantos slugged like 360 this year. He's got to slug a little bit more if he's going to be a corner infielder. And honestly, I think it might just be finishing puberty that James Triantos needs to do. He's so young. You can't bank on anything from him right now. Talk to me at the end of 2023, and, and I think we'll have a much better idea of who Triantos is. Porter Hodge, big dude, a unit. I knew nothing about him until you told me to go look at him, and I said, wow, this dude is already big. He's like 6'4", 230. He pitches like he's 6'6", 270. I mean, yeah. he is like attack you with bullying stuff. Palencia has the most electric fastball, I think, in minor league baseball. Question is, what's he going to have to complement that? And where is he going to put the fastball? I think that Palencia, with Cody Hoyer, with Ben Brown, I think those can be three exceptional young relievers for the Cubs in 23 and 24. And then Canario, I obviously the power is immense. I hope his ankle heals well. Um The timeline on that Bryant trade was so interesting because when the Bryant trade did go through at the 2021 deadline, the narrative around the prospect return was, wow, you got to see this kid in high A Canario and Killian was a filler that was like high A double A. Then at the beginning of 2022, it was, oh, damn, Killian's coming off of a year where he led minor league baseball in strikeout to walk rate. And he's got the chance to break in and be a consistent starter while Canario is really struggling. So maybe Killian is the prize in that Bryant return. And then Killian struggled a little bit in his first major league audition, but Canario all of a sudden pumped out 37 homers and climbed his way to AAA. So Canario went from headliner to second fiddle to Killian to headliner again. And this has the chance to be an incredible return for Chris Bryant. Absolutely. Uh, especially given that he was a rental. Um, and yeah, you look at what Canario's done. If he can get healthy, he should factor in at some point next year and get, get some opportunities, which is, uh, I think, something that nobody would have expected going into last year, or especially early in last year when he was struggling at points in high A and double A. Um, so that is really good to see. Let's get to that top 10, because another player that they acquired in Ben Brown is somebody that cracks the top 10 at number 10 and a reminder that you can follow along if you're listening and uh, sitting somewhere uh, you can follow along with the link in the description with the link straight to these write-ups for the Chicago Cubs system at justbaseball.com. so 10 is Ben Brown and Ben Brown was a tough guy to peg because there was one side of me that's like man if this guy puts it together he's he's a dude like he is a dude but also you look at some of the the questions and, and maybe, you know, the lack of third pitch. And I, and I don't have a ton of hope that he's going to have that reliable third pitch is what kind of holds me back a little bit. But the command has made big time strides. The height is currently wrong um, as we have it listed right there. He's six, six. He's a monster. It's listed as six, two as I'm sharing my screen for those on YouTube. But uh, this dude's a beast and the fastball is effortless. Uh, 70 grade on it. It sits mid-90s. It tops out upper 90s, but just explodes out of his hand. And then the curveball is plus or a little bit better as well. No surprise, he struck out 34% of batters in high A and double A. Was traded for David Robertson. And, I mean, that that's already – I mean, it worked well for the Phillies. It got to the World Series, and Robertson was a big part of it. But looking at it from the Cubs' perspective, a great get for a rental reliever. Yes, Um 
I, I think they just went closer for closer. I think that David Robertson was the, the closer for the Phillies, and I think that Ben Brown is going to be the closer for the Chicago Cubs. Ben Brown is unlike a lot of the guys that are making their way through the Cubs system starter-wise. Because um, a lot of the guys starter-wise that we're going to talk about, you know, Killian's already up. We're going to talk about Hayden Wisniewski. We're going to talk about Jordan Wicks. We're going to talk about Cade Horton. Ben Brown is cut from a very different cloth than those guys. And Brown is the guy with an overpowering fastball and this slider that can get better and this curveball that's a hammer right now. I don't know the sustainability of that in the rotation when you've got, you know, innings eaters that are being developed there. So you're asking pitching coaches in minor league baseball in the, in the Cubs system. And like, listen, they do it in all 30 organizations. You cater to different types of arms, but you know, the way that guys thrive at a particular organization is almost by being cut from a similar cloth and deviating off of it in their own unique ways. Right. So yeah. uh, you think of Cleveland, the way they develop pitchers, all of them have, this fastball that they can work off of, and they've got a, a good feel for a couple of secondary pitches. The one that kind of bucks that trend was Tristan McKenzie, but McKenzie can learn from a guy like Shane Bieber who has figured it out. Um, with the Cubs, it, it's pitchability first at this point. And they're preaching pitchability first. So what do you do with a stuff guy? You can either say, hey, here's an inning, go throw 102 miles an hour and snap off a couple of crazy benders. Or you could say, you know what? Pace yourself at like 85% and try and give us five innings. I think I'd rather just have a nasty closer. Yeah, and, and I think that ultimately is is the most likely scenario with Ben Brown, which is why you see him ranked where he is. Um, the devil's advocate to that would be that this guy was dra- – oh, by the way, before I get into that, where, where do you think Ben Brown's from? Uh, what do you mean? Like where do you think he's from high school-wise? Is he a South Florida guy? Long Island. Um, <laughs> just to circle back to that point. Yeah, yeah. It was a, well, that, statistically speaking, it was very probable that he was from Long Island. No, a rare Long Island prep star in the baseball in the baseball round. You see, thirty third round pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You see, thirty third round pick. He was a over slot guy stolen away. Uh, and you can find some diamonds in the rough in the Northeast, especially in the pitching side. But the devil's advocate would be he was drafted, uh, Tommy John surgery, then twenty twenty COVID. So he had only thrown a hundred and something, a hundred innings, I think period and professional baseball. And then this past year through more than that in the previous four years, right? He threw 103 innings this year. So we saw more from Ben Brown in one season than we did from the previous four years combined. And, you know, I think that was a huge step in his development and look, he, he did get better with the command. He did gain confidence. He pounded the zone with the breaking ball, which is ridiculously good. The two breaking balls blend, and that's the issue. If he can do the Tyler Glass now type thing and separate the breaking balls more, he's got a shot. I agree with you, most likely a reliever, but I think they're going to try him You know, one more year, see how it goes, because he did do a really good job last year. If he can find success in the upper levels, there's always exceptions, right? Um, but you know, I, I think he's got a shot. Regardless, he will be a very good reliever, worst case scenario, which is why he's in the top 10. Yeah. Number nine, Christian Hernandez, a guy that, man, I just want to see him play. Shortstop prospect, one of the prized international free agents. Been able to see some video and, you know, limited looks from the complex and whatever, but we haven't been able to see him stateside. Um, this guy's got all the talent in the world. Uh, that There's no doubt about that. And he checks in at number nine because, again, the system's gotten better. And, you know, there's, Really just it wasn't the best year for him. Would have liked to have seen him kind of light up uh, the, the rookie levels. That said, still extremely talented, still extremely young, and, and could and the ETA, I need to update that, uh, and, and still extremely young and could easily you know be the top prospect in this system in a couple years. Yeah, I just don't know anything about him. That's the thing. Like I, I've got no idea what he's going to be because he was in the DSL and he was – you know, praised as the next coming, a la Jason Dominguez. And then now he's in the complex and he's still praised as the next coming, a la Jason Dominguez. We'll see it when he's 19. <laughs> I mean, we'll see it in his age 19 season in 23. Um, you know, Oakley spends half the year in Myrtle Beach, half the year in South Bend, and then 24, he spends half the year in Tennessee. Um, maybe, you know, the majority of the year in Tennessee and finish it in Iowa. And then he's up in, in 25. Um, yeah. I've just got... No idea what what we're going to see from Christian Hernandez when he faces pitching that is older than 19 years old. 
Correct. He does have big time power though. And, and I think a little bit more of an advanced swing than you'd think for his age. I think he won 454 feet at some point last year. So, I mean, the, the guy's got juice. He's got the tools across the board, plenty to like, but we just got to see more. Next up, number eight, Cade Horton, right-handed pitching prospect, who was the first-round pick, seventh overall in the 2022 draft. Horton is a freak athlete, man, and I feel like this guy's kind of right up your alley, Jack, where he was a went to Oklahoma to be a two-sport athlete, was hoping to play quarterback, underwent Tommy John surgery, so that kind of fell through, focused more on baseball. But not only that, as a baseball player, two-way guy as well, played third base and also pitched. You look at the numbers on the course of the season, you're going to be like, wow, how did this guy know, go number seven overall? Well, he was coming back from Tommy John and really hit his stride at the end of the year at, on the biggest stage, right? After getting off to a bit of a slow start, went nuclear over his last handful of starts going into the College World Series and leading Oklahoma uh, to that really impressive run. Over his last, I think it was four starts, he struck out 40 and walked four. And the fastball was just exploding. The breaking ball was nasty for nothing but great things about Horton. Um, I think this guy's going to be a really, really, really good pitcher. Uh, obviously very raw and an underslot guy at number seven, but a lot to like here. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny. Like he wanted to do everything at college. He, so he wanted to not only be a two-way guy, but also play football. Um, he was going to compete with uh, – Spencer Rattler, who somehow is the next coming again at South Carolina. And then Caleb Williams was, uh, I think, a year behind him. But, yeah, he made the he made the right choice with baseball. Cade is – he's exactly what I like. You're right. I, he, he That pick came in, and didn't it just kind of scream Jordan Wicks? Like, it, it screamed like, oh, here we go. We're getting another, like, college arm that's seasoned, and you probably don't need to coach him up on much because he already had a really good fastball. He already had a really good slider, and he's got pretty solid command. You've got a 40 present with a 55 future. I like his command a little bit more than that at Oklahoma. Um, h- how do you feel about it? Yeah, honestly, it was just – it was just the lack of of third. You know, I'm waiting for the curveball or the changeup to come along. And, and but when you look at the fastball command, it looked really good over the last four starts. It was just, is that enough? Is that enough to to give him a an average command grade at this point? I think I could see it. You know, kind of trending towards above average because he's such a good athlete. But it was just more of that limited looks of above average or average command at the college level. I'm ready to bump it up quickly. You rarely are going to see a 40 to 55 for a college guy. Usually the gap isn't that big. I can understand a slight bump, but honestly, that was one of my toughest reads with Horton was the command because it it was so night and day from the beginning part of the season to the final four starts where he was, you know, lights out. Yeah, well, and it's hard to wrangle in a fastball that, you know, carries off and then a slider that just pinches in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it, it's probably going to be touch and feel for him for the next couple of years. But my thought is, you know, when he's on, like he's going to put together oh, starts yeah. where it's, oh, Cade Horton is carving. Right. Oh, now. yeah. No, I mean, when he's got the fastball, which is mid-90s, touching uppers, uh, slider, which is hard in the upper 80s. Those two pitches, he can carve guys up. Curveball is already showing some potential. Again, blends a little bit with the slider, very common. Uh, but he's even showed a little bit of willingness to mix in the changeup. Didn't have to too much. So I think that's going to be the big pitch to, to monitor. If he gets that going with a little bit of a distinguishment, uh, like distinguishing the curveball a bit, he could have a legit four-pitch mix with crazy stuff. Good athlete, 21. Um, I, I love, I love the pick. I love the upside. You talk about the Jordan Wicks, like Jordan Wicks ceiling floor much closer with Horton. You're getting a, a very intriguing guy that I think they may, may have felt like they snagged just before he went nuclear. Cause if he, if he went back to college one more year, he might've been the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. There, there's a chance, man. Uh, I, I can just see it now, right? Like MLB debut for Horton, like Rob Friedman cuts up at the 40 foot mark, his fastball and his slider are perfectly aligned. And then the slider snaps off and the fastball keeps on carrying. Yep. Yep. And that's going to be the bread and butter. And the fact that he already has a shot at at two other pitches is, is extremely encouraging. Yeah. Speaking to Jordan Wicks, 
We go to Jordan Wicks at number seven. And it was really hard to, to, to rank these two guys because Horton higher upside, Wicks higher floor. Uh, Wicks has also kind of done it now uh, and, and showed us some really good things between high A and double A. Left-handed pitching prospect drafted first round 2021, 21st overall. Uh, I know the Cubs were ecstatic that, that Wicks kind of fell to them there out of Kansas State. He's a guy that just kind of got better as the year went on. Um, the numbers in double A are a little bit worse than the numbers in high A, but in terms of who he is as a pitcher, got better as the year went on. Velo ticked up a little bit. Uh, the slider continued to impress me. The changeup is plus plus. I mean, and that's the thing. We talk about a good changeup, right? This is a great changeup. This is one of the best changeups in the minor leagues. Working off of a deceptively high spin, like the fastball is a little bit more giddy up than you'd think. And again, the velo ticking up a little bit was, was really good to see. And then he mixed in a cutter at the end of the year, which really has me excited because I watched him use that to, to bore in on the hands of right-handed hitters. And that just gives him another look now, a cutter in the 89 to 91 range. So now you've got an above average fastball, an above average slider, a plus changeup, you know, a, a strike stealing curveball that's probably average at best. And then this cutter that could be above average. This guy's got a really good arsenal and good command to go with it. He just screams number three, number four type starter. Uh, and I think he's trending closer to number three. Yeah, my worry is he gets hit a lot. Um, and it's never going to be losing command. He walked, what, 28 guys in 94 innings this year? So mm -hmm. command is not a worry. And he'll rack up some strikeouts. Like, he'll be over 9Ks per nine. The thing that worries me is opponents hit 247 against him this year in the minor leagues. Yeah. Is there a chance that opponents are hitting 270, 280 against him when he breaks into Major League Baseball? And I think the answer is yes. Um, that's high. If he could be 220 to 230 in minor league baseball, I would feel a lot better. I'm worried that his stuff with how good the command is, command is going to turn into control when the command is not all the way there. And controlling, albeit a good fastball, every major league hitter can hit a good fastball. Not every major league hitter can hit a good slider, but his slider is not disgusting. It's good. Um, the changeup is probably going to be his pitch, but how many swing and miss changeups do you actually see? So I guess that's my it concern. Is. When he doesn't have the corners and when he's trying to just find the plate, there's a chance he gets hit. Then, Well, that's why I love the cutter. <laughs> and that's yeah. why I think the cutter is a great addition here. Um, when, when you have you know, the fastball that you know he could spot up, but I agree it's, it's hittable. Um, the changeup, which that works off of the fastball so well, and that's a, that's a wipeout pitch. I mean, you look at what the changeup was this past year. No one hit it, and and I, and I think it's going to be a pitch that that is tough to hit at the big league level. And then the thing too is is he got better with it, kind of figuring out how to sequence his pitches as the year went on. You know, not just pounding the zone as much because he was just around the zone too frequently. And I think that was part of the reason why he got hit over his last ten starts: one ninety four, two eighty two, three seventeen slash line. So did allowed so that did get better for him as the year went on um so that is definitely something to monitor and if he could be a little bit more effective with you know not always splitting the plate down the middle right and and getting a little bit more chase uh, i think you're you're spot on there and i think that's something that he got better at as the year went on yeah um i i have a ton of confidence in him being like a top flight four i do i yeah. i have a ton of confidence in him being 170 180 innings and he, he's gonna give you at least a mid threes absolutely I, i'm with you too and i think with with the uptick slide uptick in velo and and the added cutter a little bit more upside there uh than i previously thought for jordan wicks a guy that showed great last year was hayden wasneski who came over in that scott afros trade uh came over from the yankees wasneski got a chance to debut and man was he good at the big league level. You look at the AAA numbers, they're inflated by really two blow-up starts after the trade, and then he was lights out for a few starts after that in AAA and then got called up and was lights out at the big league level. Wesneski, funky delivery, tough to pick up, and his stuff works off of itself so, so well. I wrote a whole piece on this on just baseball.com. You can check it out. Uh, but the way his fastball runs arm side, also has the four-seamer that works at the top of the zone, a devastating slider that breaks to his glove side, and then a change-up that he's confident with as well. It's like he's got something that moves in every which way, and he continued to get better and better with sequencing it. 
look at some of those big league outings. He had hitters really uncomfortable. It was two seamer or sinker running in on your hands. You kind of feel crowded. Then a slider that gets you out on the front foot. And then a changeup that just makes your head kind of spin. Like he was really working around guys and, and really just had them almost overthinking their ABs with the way that he can mix his pitches in. I love that he's a 10 mile an hour difference in fastball and slider. I love it because a lot of guys are, are they're close together, right? They're 93 and 87 on yeah. that. And it's really just pitch movement that, that changes things and pitch profile. This it's, it's an actual change of speed. It's 93 with sink low spin. And then it's relatively high spin 81 that sweeps from that arm slot. So I I do think that he offers like this exceptional mix. And you, you talk about simplifying pitching, obviously pitching, you can make it as complex as you want. You can actually make it rocket science with all the stat cast shit that we've got here. But simply put, this guy has pitches that move differently thrown at different speeds. And that's the recipe to success and keeping hitters off balance and opponents at the big league level in 33 innings hit under 200 against him. Yep. So opponents hit 167 on the slider. It's not like they were unlucky. The expected average on that pitch was 181. That slider is just really good. And he can work off the slider and he can mix in that low spin sinker slash fastball. And and he's in for a world of success, I think. I, I do think that this guy has sub three ERA upside. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's going to be stretches where he's like that. And and the command is way better than you'd think with the way everything moves in every which way and his funky delivery um, almost kind of makes it seem like a slingshot from this three quarters release, which I think really makes it even harder to pick up whether it's it's going to be a slider jetting across the strike zone from a righty or you know a, a sinker kind of boring in on you. And then he manipulates the slider into a cutter, which is harder at about 87, 88 miles an hour. And he located that really well, too. So we're talking about a fastball, slider, cutter, sinker, changeup. Um, that's a hell of an arsenal. And and that's like that's really tough to game plan for. And all of those pitches work well in different ways. Like he'll sneak that four seamer at the top and then use that sinker in so many different ways as well. So. I really like what we saw from Wisniewski last year. I think he's got, you know, I think high-end three upside if he continues to to do what he is doing. And I, I think that reliever risk is all but gone. I think the only risk you really have here is he isn't as consistent as you think with all of those offerings and trends more towards the back of the rotation. But this isn't a reliever risk guy anymore. And I think that was mostly because of his delivery and his slider. But this guy's a starter, and I think he proved it last year, and he's going to be a rotation piece for the Cubs this year and a big part of, of their improved rotation. I think you want to know the price for a reliever with control. Scott F. Frost was really good. Five years of control. You got to give up the number six prospect in the guy's system and, and a chance to be a two. And this yeah. could, we could look at this in five years and say, Oh my God, the Cubs fleeced the Yankees here. I think Scott F. Frost is still going to be good, but that was a very steep price to pay in a one for one swap deal. And it's not even a hindsight bias thing because I remember the second it went down, we were like, whoa. It's like, whoa. 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 Yeah. And then years of control for a reliever, we talk about it. It's very important. But, man, that was a whoa um, and a great get by the Cubs, who did great in the deadline without trading major players to get Wisniewski, to get Ben Brown. I mean, like, really impressive stuff uh, to continue to solidify this system. Perhaps their most impressive feat, though, has been the development of Matt Mervis because mm-hmm. – Matt Mervis now projects as their first baseman next year. We heard some things about, you know, maybe Jose Abreu being an option. He's not, right? He signs with the Houston Astros, which is great news for all of the Matt Mervis, Mash Mervis fans who want to see him, you know, starting at first base on opening day, which I think there's a very legitimate chance he can. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast. We don't have to rehash all those things. I'm literally going to talk to him tomorrow. He will be on tomorrow's episode of the call-up. So uh, you'll hear more from him on his season as well. Uh, but, you know, just to, to quickly rehash, he had 310, 381, 610 with 36 home runs and 77 extra base hits over the course of a season, then went to the Arizona Fall League, had over a 900 OPS. And, um, yeah, the guy just freaking hits, dude. Um, but there's just really no other way to put it. He absolutely mashed all year, hits lefties, hits velo, hits breaking balls. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the approach got better as the year went on, a little bit more patient, started to draw more walks. He's a heck of a baseball player, man, and and he's a big part of what they're building here in Chicago, and I think he's going to be the first baseman for a long time. You're going to hear a conversation with him tomorrow. 
So I, we don't really need to like fully dive into what he's done. We've already conversed on him, uh, conversed with him on the call up. Uh, you will literally hear another conversation with him on the call up tomorrow. What I will say is talk to him uh, when he was in Indy with Iowa. I said, dude, holy shit. And he was like, <laughs> I know it's, we talked about it and I know that you're going to talk with him about it more. And I said, what changed? And he was like, just simplifying my everyday life. And and I'm not talking simplifying approach. He said, like simplifying my life, simplifying my mind, where instead of saying, okay, I got to work on a through G today. It was, I'm going to work on a today a is going to get fixed. I'm going to work on B tomorrow and B is going to get fixed tomorrow. Yep. If you attack hitting that way, I feel like shit gets really simple, really fast. And I asked him, who's the guy you're watching right now? And he said, lefty power bats. And then the one that he brought up was Jordan Alvarez. And I was like, okay, so arguably the best hitter in baseball right now, because he doesn't whiff. He's strong as hell. He's got power to all fields. That's kind of what you're doing in minor league baseball. Yep. I think what Jordan did to major league pitching, Mervis did to minor league pitching. 100%. He was he was that. He was Jordan in the minor leagues last year. When you look at the power, lack of strikeouts, just consistency and simplicity as well. I, I'm I'm 100% with you. I agree with that. Um Mervis again, we'll talk we'll talk to him tomorrow. Uh so you'll you'll hear plenty from him, but big part of what the Cubs are building here and Jed Hoyer even said it recently. Uh you know, they they, they know what they've got here. And it's similar to the Royals, like I said in the write-up. It looks like the Cubs just found their first baseman of the future, which is really cool and always nice to see. And it's cool because if, in the Royals' case, like they they found a bat, right? They found a first-base DH, and Prado is also a first-base DH guy. Prado, for the most part, is going to play first, I'm sure. But Vinny's the DH. Like They found a spot in their lineup out of nowhere. The Cubs just found a spot in their lineup in the 2020 non-drafted free agent class. So, so awesome. That's awesome. That. It's always huge. Uh, Chicago Cubs, number four prospect, Kevin Alcantara, another traded prospect from the Yankees. That was in the Rizzo deal. Alcantara's upside is just immense. I mean, there's there's no way to say it, really, when you look at a 6'6", 200-pound guy who can move uh, pretty well and, and has a better feel to hit than I think you would expect from somebody with that profile. He had a pretty solid year, and, I mean, it's one of those players that, you know, you hope it kind of clicks for him because when it does, it would be insane. But I I do have a slight fear that we're always going to wait for it to click, and it might not. That always comes with the territory with these kinds of prospects. But, man, I mean, he is hedging some of my concerns slowly with just his consistency that he has shown and and, and some solid numbers that he continues to put up. Yeah. Um, They have the chance to win all three of those. 2021 deadline deals. Bryant, we talked about Canario and Killian. Um, with with the Rizzo deal, obviously Rizzo is solid and, and he just re-signed a two-year deal with them. And the other pieces haven't worked out. But like you're saying with Alcantara, I, the upside is just stupid, stupid crazy. 6-6, moves well in center, and he can hit the shit out of the ball. It, it doesn't make much sense, man. It's it's pretty wild. Um He's just kind of one of those alien, you know, he's in the alien territory. Yeah. And at, at 20 years old, you just turned 20. There, there's so much to like here. I mean, he, he's aggressive. He's got to work on that a little bit. Um, there's a little bit more whiff, you know, than you'd like to see from like the perfect profile. But that got better as the year went on. And that that's really encouraging. I think he continues to just feel his body a bit more, understand how to be shorter, more direct to the ball. And I always talk about super tall young guys as like baby drafts, whether they're pitchers or hitters and you know, kind of awkward with their, with their legs and just kind of having control of their body. It seemed like he got better and better with that as the year went on. And I mean, this guy could have plus power and above average speed and, and everything you want from a player. I think plus plus power in the tank. If he fills out a little bit more, cause he's six, six, 200. So there's a lot more room to add muscle and he can play all three outfield spots. Uh, very, very, very intriguing prospect with monster upside here for the Cubs at number four. So, I mean, it's a really good, a really good guy to have at number four in your system. Where's the worry? Just doesn't quite put it all together, bat to ball wise. You know, like just too long. Yeah. Um, I see the high chase, the high chase rates, and I think it's a guy that right now is 
trying too hard to 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 get there, right? To get the barrel out, to to catch up to Velo. And I, I have my concern that he might just never be able to catch up to that uh, because of how long he is. But again, he got better and better with that as the year went on. So um, I, I think he can be just fine. I think he can be just fine. Even if he fills out a bit more, he moves to a corner. Um, but really, it's just length and consistency with that swing and body control. Gotcha. Probably the only guy on earth that's going to have Owen Casey ahead of Kevin Alcantara. Um, <laughs> and I'll die on this hill. I, I, I'm that high on Owen Casey. Um, he checks in a number three outfit prospect with the Cubs, of course. He's 6'4", 210. And still probably has more room to fill out. I talked to Casey uh, not too long ago in the Arizona Fall League. That was an episode that if you're if you're new to the podcast, go a few episodes back. We, we talked to Owen Casey for a few minutes in the Fall League. And he talked about wanting to add some speed and add some explosiveness, which is exciting because he already has plus power. And I think there's room for plus plus or at least close to it. Uh, he put up exit velos of 114, 115 last year uh, while also showing a pretty good feel to hit. We talk about Kevin Alcantara, man. These two are the same age. Alcantara was in low A. Casey was in high A. And they put up pretty similar numbers. Casey talked about not being totally satisfied with his season. uh, But a left-handed bat with the combination of his power potential and already a pretty good field to hit. And he's looking to add a little bit more explosion and athleticism. I'm really excited about Owen Casey. I think he's going to be a 30-plus home run threat with with solid on-base skills. So every Cubs fan that, that threw both their hands up after the Darvish deal, like Darvish and Caratini to San Diego for guys that were just so far off. They said, what's happening? This is the beginning of the end, right? Uh, Owen Casey's really, really good. And he's going to be the first one to truly pan out here. Um, There are other options for guys that, you know, could work that were so far off. I mean, there were several Dominican summer league guys that were in that deal, but Casey was the one that I, I think everybody said, hey, if one of them is going to be a headliner, this is probably the headliner. And here he is. He's going to be the first to break through. And he's the first notable name in that deal to emerge. And Owen Casey's really good, man. I know James Paxton has the nickname Big Maple, but I feel like when Casey does get up, he might get that Big Maple mantra just because he's so big and strong. 6'4", He looks bigger than 6'4", 210. He swings bigger. He impacts the ball bigger than 6'4", 210. Um, I think that this guy has the chance to send a shiver down a first baseman's spine when he comes up because there's a chance a pull side ground ball is coming at first base at 117 miles an hour, which is terrifying. But but that's the kind of impact that Casey can have. Um I think this dude can be a menacing hitter, and I have no problem with him being above Alcantara. Again, same age, he's at a level above, and he was better. And, it, and it's not like he's 5'11", right? Like, we love Alcantara's frame. Um, Casey's 6'4". I like Casey's <laughs> and a frame, lefty, too. And a lefty with, with, with good bat-to-ball skills, I think, for for what he was already able to do at high A. If you put Casey in low A last year, he would have went nuclear and then – we would probably be celebrating him as a higher regarded prospect. So he was challenged because the Cubs really like his, how advanced he is and he's advanced mentally too. And um, they challenged him in high a and, and I thought, you know, it was a pretty solid year. He, he had ups and downs, but you know, I thought it was a pretty solid overall output from a guy that was one of the younger players at the level. I love the way he stays in his backside. I love the simplicity of his swing and he's only getting better and better. He talked about how he felt like he really found it at the end of the year, and and, and I think that's something that's really going to parlay into success next year. Look out for Owen Casey. If he adds a little bit of speed, he said he wanted some bags next year. Uh, that will add a lot to him on the defensive side as well. If he can turn into an average or better defender in the corner, then you got a lot to like here with Owen Casey. You're signing up for different games with, with Alcantara and Owen Casey, and we're big basketball people. It's the Chet or not Chet, it's the uh, Paolo Jabari Smith conversation, right? Paolo Boncaro, 6'10", 250. Jabari Smith, 6'11", 220. They play the same position, quote-unquote. They're both fours. They can both shoot it a little bit. Jabari's a better shooter, but Paolo can bang more inside. You're not going to knock either one of those frames. Like, you're not turned off by 6'11 and a little lanky or 6'10 and a little stocky. Like, it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. The, the thing is that that makes that actually a phenomenal comparison is that Paolo's game translates, you know, sa- like it's a safer translation 
to, you know, I would say the highest level. It's a but, safer, but Jabari's is a sexier translation. Exactly. And if it's like, oh, if Jabari figures it all out, he's going to be better. But so that, here we yeah. go. Casey's Paolo and uh, Alcantara is Jabari Smith. Correct. I'm in on that. That's awesome. That's, I did pretty, pretty fair comparison. And Paolo went one, right? Yep. So number two, Brennan Davis. Um, we've already talked a lot about him. And since we've talked about him, he's not played much. I will say there were some really encouraging things that I saw from him um, before he he was shut down from the fall league that seemed more precautionary. But Exavilo started to come back in the fall league and towards the end of the regular season as well. Uh, the power was coming back for him. Remember, it was a back issue that you know he really hampered his whole season. Um, still young, still has a lot of time, still has had success, you know, all the way through the minor leagues except for AAA. So uh, I'm excited to see him play next year. Just hope he's healthy. This guy has all the upside in the world, perennial all-star type of player if he can stay healthy. Uh, so uh, I, that's just the big question. Yeah. All right. We we said dating Rihanna Matt Kemp if he's healthy. Yeah, he literally and maybe that athleticism is is sapped a little bit. Maybe he's not quite as. I think he's going to be fine in that regard. I think it again. I think they they're treating him like the crown jewel and which they should, and they're being very cautious and careful. Um, but I think we're going to see him unleashed next year. You know, from from day one, and he's got a chance to play himself right back into top. 20 prospect in baseball consideration and you know a big part of what they're building in Chicago and could break into the big leagues relatively early next year if he's healthy and you know shows that he's got the bat the ball back issues are scary back issues are scarier for lanky athletic guys but it should be less scary when they're 22 years old as opposed to 29 30 years old like Christian Yelich is you know what I mean like right. Brennan Davis's recovery time, he should be able to make a full recovery as opposed to Yelich. We've got no idea if his back will ever truly make that full recovery. Correct. And, you know, I think the combination of his size, his strength, his wiry strength, his athleticism, uh, there's just so much to like here. And I, I will die on the Brennan Davis hill as well. I, I think just with what he brings to the table. It is really impressive. And the way that he is, you know, kind of long and, and generates, you know, just long limbs, long levers that generate easy backspin, but very direct to the ball and very short to the baseball leads me to think that he is going to, you know, kind of be able to just make those transitions to higher quality pitching and, and eventually the big leagues and the body control got better and better. Um, power came back a little bit at the end, like I said. So that's the big thing to watch. Uh, but I just can't wait to see him play a full season again because, as you know, he's been one of my favorite prospects for a long time. Yes. Number one, and another guy that they traded for, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. And I should mention, you know, oh, and Casey, as you mentioned, traded for. A lot of these guys were all acquired, which is pretty impressive. Pete Crow Armstrong is the number one prospect in the system because he is the best of, of all worlds, right? High floor as he could be a fourth outfielder probably in Major League Baseball tomorrow. I don't know how he would hit right away because he's got some approach things to work through, but he's an elite defender and center right now. Um, he flies. He's What really stood out to me was the above average or at least average power that he was flashing last year, and, and the guy could really hit. Pico Armstrong has the makings to be that do-everything center fielder, and, I mean, what he did last year was was really impressive. Convo with PCA coming soon. I'm really excited to hear you talk to him because there was there was a soundbite and I'm blanking on who got it. It honestly could have been Marquis when, when Marquis was talking to him um, during the minor league season. And they, they asked him about the constant comparison to Javier Baez that he's going to receive for the rest of his career because he was a 1-1 swap for a guy that finished second or third in NL MVP voting one year for the Cubs. Uh, Baez was one of the most electrifying players in baseball at, at a certain point. What is it like to always have your name attached to someone like that? Someone as polarizing as Javier Baez. And he nailed the response. He was like, yeah, I mean, um, you know, th there's something motivating about it. I, I'm not going to, you know, speak it verbatim. I'm sure he'll, he'll put it in different words for you, but I mean, he's very, very motivated by that. And, and he's, out to prove that he is absolutely worth that return. So um, I, I think this guy has the right mental makeup. I think he's a gamer. I think he's immediately going to be one of the top flight defensive center fielders in the game, a la Michael Harris. 
And the question is, is he actually going to be a 2020 guy, a 25-25 guy? We'll see. I think he can, man. That's the thing is the power. Like, there's a little bit more than I thought. And I think, you know, it's really might might even update the table there to to the 55 raw uh, that he could grow into because we saw him flash 108 last year. I think he flashed a 110 at one point last year in terms of the exit velos. Um, 110 miles per hour with his speed and, and with what he brings to the table is is really impressive the one thing that's missing from from Pete armstrong's game right now is it's a little aggressive 38 percent chase rate which is fine because i think you know he's such a good hitter he felt like he could kind of get to everything last year it's a classic you know above average hitter kind of guy that you know wants to pull the trigger at a lot of things and especially when you're hitting 354 in low a like he did through 30 38 games uh it makes it easier to to want to pull the trigger a lot only walked at a five percent clip in high a Strikeout rate jumped to 24%, but he still maintained a 287, 333, 498 slash line. 16 home runs between those two levels. Like this guy showed the power. He's a plus runner. He's an elite defender and center. The bat to ball is is pretty pretty good. Um, I mean, you, you talk about Michael Harris, like he he could be in that conversation. You know, I think Harris is a little freakier with with what he can do with the bat. Um, which is just a testament to Harris because I think Harris is up there with anybody. What he does uh, bat speed wise is ridiculous. But Pico Armstrong is is kind of not far off, and there's not very many guys that are that are even in that vicinity of Michael Harris. Um, five tool center fielder could be one of the best in the game if he continues on his trajectory. I don't think that's crazy to say. It always a top thirty prospect for us, probably top twenty five. And I mean, with a good start in Double A he could quickly become one of the best prospects in baseball because we're talking about war accumulation, right? Like F war. Yeah. High end defense and center with the bat to, with, with the production that he can give you offensively mix in some stolen bases as well. It's going to be a five, six war guy when he's, you know, really playing to the best of his ability. Do you think he can be Michael Harris? <laughs> could be close. Could be close. Could, could be, be close, close to Michael Harris, but still think- close to Michael Harris is an electric player. Close to Michael Harris is is one Ricky of the best Lear. center fielders in baseball. Yeah. And it's also because I think Michael Harris isn't done. Like Michael Harris is going to keep getting better. And like he's closer to J-Rod than I think a lot of people, you know, would like to believe. Um, yeah. But oh my gosh. Yeah. I think he could be kind of in that same freak, freak category, which is so, so exciting. And uh, another guy that's just developed really nicely with the Cubs. 100%, man. All right. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, always a lot of fun going through these top tens prospect interviews coming up. Matt Mervis tomorrow, Pete Crow Armstrong, not locked in on a day yet, but we'll be on the show either end of this week or early next week. So keep an eye out for that Two really awesome players to awesome dudes as well. Jack, any final thoughts on the system before we wrap up? I love this system and, and the Cubs have an identity and I don't think that the Cubs need to be, um worried about a very long rebuild i also don't think it's very smart to sign a bunch of guys to five six year deals because i i think that you've got a lot of stuff coming up i think that looking at stroman type deals where it's a two plus one or a one plus one makes a lot of sense to get butts and seats at wrigley field even though that's never a problem if they sold everybody they would still sell out half their home games um i i do think that they can put together a fun product for the next two years and have a pretty much entirely different roster two, three years from now and be better. I I think that the future is very, very bright for the Chicago Cubs. I agree. And a lot of these prospects that we talked about, at least on the the top end, PCA, obviously Mervis is going to be there hopefully next year right away. But even like PCA, Owen Casey, those guys are two years away, maybe PCA a year and a half. Like these guys could get up there, you know, in the next few years, you don't want to have seven, eight year deals to all these guys. So I'm very interested to see how they tow that line, add some vet talent while not, you know, totally log jamming. What is an, a ton of talent they've got coming up as well. So very exciting times coming in Chicago. And I really like what they're building here as well. Look out for those episodes coming up full write-ups on just baseball.com as well. You got the description with the link to this article. Also, uh, please subscribe to the new call up YouTube channel. Uh, Really excited about all the content we'll be putting out there as well. So always thank you for listening. We'll talk prospects with you tomorrow. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. 
With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.